tell me how we're doing. Man, that's good. Hey, thank you so much for being here. I love to welcome people uh, into the house of God. I love doing that uh, when I get a chance to, to preach on the weekend. So thanks for coming. We're just thrilled that you came. And uh, I know, and God knows even more, you had a thousand things you could have done thousand things you could have been involved with tonight, and you chose to be here. So thanks for being here. That's great. And welcome to our online community all over. And this weekend, because a lot of people are taking trips and enjoying the fall times, we got a lot of people online this weekend, and I want to commend you uh, because you're, you're out there wherever, okay, and you thought it was so important to worship that you got online. So that is awesome, and we're glad to have you too, okay? Now, because it is October, uh, that's generally fall break, and so a lot of people uh, take trips during the fall. And one of the things that happens during fall break, which is kind of interesting, that is that a lot of families sent their kids to college a few weeks ago, and some families did that for the very first time. And then fall break is the first time they're able to see those kids when they come back from college. And so uh, I was thinking about that a little bit today. And I have a text message from a college girl uh, to her mom and dad. And I want to read this text for you. Kind of, kind of gives the idea of you know being gone for a few weeks and kind of reporting in. And I want you to hear it. And I want you to pretend that you... Uh, sent your daughter to college for the first time, you know, four, five, six weeks ago, and here's the report. So here's, the, here's this text. I'm just going to read it. I brought it with me. Hey, Mom and Dad, long text alert. Hope you guys are well. It's been a few weeks since I left for college, and I'm sorry I haven't kept in contact much, but it's been crazy here, and I thought I would bring you up to speed on a few things. I'm finally starting to heal up. That's not a good thing to hear, is it? The skull fracture and concussion are almost totally gone now. When the dormitory caught on fire, I had to jump out of the window and the fall rattled me a bit, but the two weeks in the hospital really helped me turn the corner. Am I the only parent here who's thinking, why didn't I know about this, okay? So here we go. Fortunately for me, the fire was witnessed by a guy who works across the street at a gas station. And he's actually the one who called the fire department. He also came to see me at the hospital. And since my room is now destroyed by the fire, he invited me to move in with him. Turns out he's a really great guy and we have fallen madly in love and have decided to get married. We haven't set the date yet, but it will be before my pregnancy starts to show. <laughs> yes, I'm expecting a baby. Can you believe it? I know you've always wanted to be grandparents. We're holding off on the wedding date because he has some minor infections that still need to clear up. And it turns out I've caught the same infection, but the doc said a couple weeks of penicillin and we are good to go. So I can't wait for you to meet him. He comes from a different country, practices a different religion than we do, but you've always taught me tolerance for all people, and I know you'll do that for him. We're trying to get his parents here for the wedding also, but there are some kind of weird restrictions on his dad. We're trying to get cleared up legally with him. Now that I brought you up to date, let me make it clear that there was no fire. 
I did not hurt myself in a fall. I have not been in the hospital. There is no boyfriend, no pregnancy, and no future wedding. However, I am getting a D in three of my classes, <laughs> and I wanted you to hear that in its proper perspective. Is that awesome, huh? Is that awesome? Now, here's why, here's why I brought that, because uh, we're going to talk today about a new teaching series called A Kingdom Invasion, and in order to kind of catch where we're going with this, you got to have the proper perspective, okay? So a perspective is kind of how you see things and, and the lenses in which you're looking through them, and uh, I want you to kind of gather that together, all of us together in the proper perspective of what we mean by this. And I think if I had to kind of sum up what we're going to talk about for about four weeks now, it comes back to this tug of war uh, picture I brought for you and that flag in the middle. And you all know how that, that game's played. And what I want you to think about is that every one of us is that flag. You are that flag. And I'm that flag. And although you can't see it in this picture, that you've got to kind of envision a little bit about who is pulling in the opposite directions for that flag. Because as long as you are on this earth, as that flag, there are forces that are pulling you into their direction. And, and if you don't have the perspective about that, then what we're going to talk about won't make, won't make a whole lot of sense, but, but you're going to get the right perspective of that. Now, here, here's the forces that pull on those ropes, and you might assume that it would be something like this because you're in church. On one side is our enemy, the devil, Satan, who is using everything that he has to pull that rope and your flag in his direction. And of equal pull on the other side our Father God, our loving Father is calling. And all of us are the flag in the middle of that tug of war. Every person here is. Now, the perspective that will help you understand that is to understand that in the midst of that tug of war that you experience for the totality of your life, it comes through various conflicts. And this is where perspective comes in. Because the very first conflict that that tug of war is happening comes down to this idea, and that is, will you be damned or will you be saved? And your flag is being pulled in both of those directions. And you're, you're bright enough to know that when we enter this world in, in a world of sin and eventually begin to adopt that into our own life, the Bible says that we are separated from God and doomed to an eternity of damnation. That, that's where that's at. But as soon as you find out what Jesus did, and you find out that Jesus took care of that sin and paid the penalty of that sin, and you're overwhelmed with what God has done for you, the Father through his son Jesus, that you then surrender your life to that son Jesus, and you're buried in Christian baptism is the moment that your life becomes new, and you move from damned to saved. And that battle is going on in the life of every person in this room, and as you look at it right now, that flag, your flag, 
is in one direction or the other. Every person here is one or the other. Now, now here's where the perspective, I think, comes into play that I want you to see, and it's just going to be kind of wow, you'll see it tonight, is that when you are pulled here and you have surrendered at the moment of baptism and the full forgiveness of your sins and the gift of eternal life comes, it is very easy to think that the tug-of-war game is over that it's been won, that you've moved in God's direction and I'm saved now, okay? I had my appointment in the baptistry and now the war's over and I won. That is a terrible, terrible perspective. That's a terrible perspective. And there are all kinds of people who think that, that once they get here they think, okay, the game is over and, and baptism and giving my life to you, somehow that's some magical check mark somewhere that says I'm, I'm okay and I'm good. And somehow people get caught up in that. Those are the people, let me, let me tell you this, those are the people that when I'm sitting around a, a, a coffee table or a kitchen table in somebody's house because we're planning out the funeral of somebody they love, those are the people where somebody will say, hang on, hang on. I, I, I know we can find his baptism certificate somewhere because, because they thought it ended right here. And the perspective that is needed to see is that that battle between these two forces and the pull on your flag, it just changes conflict now. It's not over. And just because you're saved doesn't mean the enemy has given up on you because there's another conflict that arises. And I would say that on a Thursday night in a church service, most people in the room you're, you're not dealing with this conflict, you're dealing with the next one. Look at the next one. And that is, will you be drifted or you, will you be steadied? And we just spent a month on that. We just spent a whole month on that, suggesting that if Satan lose you, loses you in the first conflict, he didn't give up. Now his effort then is to unsteady you to get you to drift, to get you to move away from God, to get you to be on with God today and off with God tomorrow, to be in the church now but out of the church uh, next time. And, and, and his, his method is to get you to understand that you can just move away from that. And God says, no, you gotta be steady, you gotta be grounded. Remember the anchors? And so every person in the room is dealing with that, okay? We all deal with that conflict. That's the perspective I want you to see. I'm a flag being pulled in both directions. And as long as I win this, understand there's another conflict comes. And, and here's, here's why we're gonna look at what we're gonna look at over the next month is that if you're here today, and there's a lot of you who say, okay, this has been taken care of, I'm saved, and I'm steady, man, I'm grounded in my faith. And there's a lot of you who say, man, I got it, I'm together, I'm not gonna leave God, I'm not gonna walk out of the church, man, I am here, I'm grounded. Don't think that conflict is over yet. It is not over. And the problem with some of us with our perspective is we tend to think, okay, I got, I got that taken care of and I got this taken care of and I've pulled toward God and now I'm finally okay. No, the battle continues. The war, the tug of war keeps coming because the final conflict is this. That Satan says that if I can't win you here, 
and I can't get you to drift, then I'm just gonna convince you to live a dull life. Don't cause any waves, just kind of do your thing and stay away from anything that's kind of radical and just kind of live your quiet, peaceful life. And God says, no, I want your life to be significant. I want your life as a believer to get into the world and to make a difference, to do something with your life, to live on mission. And I think that's such a big deal, as I'm going to show you in the Bible here in a few minutes, that I want to spend about a month talking about that. I want to spend about a month looking at what does the Bible say about steadied, saved Christians living significant lives. That whole idea, that perspective about you and I making a difference in the world comes up in the very first recorded sermon that we have of Jesus. And I, I find that fascinating as I've studied that, got ready for this, that the very first time we have record of Jesus teaching a message, when he stood up and he preached, the very first one, what he talked about was this. He talked about believers in the kingdom of God living significant lives. This sermon is, is one where he, he apparently went up into the, the hillside of a mountain somewhere. And you kind of vision Jesus because of all the people around. He needed to be somewhere where they could see him. And so he kind of climbed up on the cleft of some rocks somewhere. So he was above the people. And he preached this message in the Bible. That's why we call it the Sermon on the Mount because he was up. There, there's indications, we, we believe pretty strongly that, that he repeated parts of that message at different times in his life, in different settings. What he was about to say was so important that it justified being said over and over and over and over again. And the general proposition that he made was that he's building a kingdom of people who would not only be saved, they would not only be steady, rock solid in their faith, but they would be people who live significant lives by marching into the world and making a difference in the world. In other words, the kingdom of God invades the kingdom of the world. And the very first sermon of Jesus talked about that. Now, I want you to kind of think about this for a second and understand how important it is, and I want to show it to you in the Bible. One of the things that we do as a church, and I think all churches kind of get caught up in that, um, but man, just here at Eastside, it just is kind of a, a, a big thing that we do, and that is that we spend a lot of our resources and a lot of our time and energy trying to get people to come to us. And so that's why we, we talk every, hey, we're glad to have our guests. We're thrilled to have you here. That's why we say invite your friends and your family and your coworkers. Invite people you don't even like. You know, get them all in here. And we love it when more and more people are here and when they give their life to Jesus. We love that, man. We celebrate that. And God has really blessed our church for that when we get the world to come here and hear the message of Jesus. We love that. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a radically important thing for a church. It's a great thing about what makes Eastside a great church. But the perspective I want you to see that the ultimate tug of war, please hear this, is not the world coming here. 
The ultimate tug of war is the kingdom of God, you and me, going there, getting out in the world, living significant lives that make a difference. And Jesus brings that up in this sermon. His very first recorded sermon that we have anywhere in the Bible, and that's what he talks about, is let's be a group of people who get out into the world and make a difference into the world. And the tug of war is Satan is saying, don't do that. Don't do that. And Jesus said, it's one of the things that I want you to know about in my very first message. So I'm gonna read for you about four, five, six verses where he talks about that. And then we're gonna break it in. Uh, We're gonna dive into the weeds and look at it a little bit and try to apply it a little bit. So I'm gonna read Matthew chapter five. There's some verses in there and I'll put it on the screen so you can see it. And I'm gonna start in the 13th verse and I'm gonna read through verse 16. So here's the message of Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, let's make some sense of what's happening in these few verses. Now, if you come to Eastside, you hear us talking about this often, whether it's John or Neil or Luke or Aquila, whoever's preaching up here, it seems that all of us tend to mention this every once in a while, that when you have a place in the Bible that you're studying, So we're looking at Matthew chapter five, verses 13 and 15. One of the things that we always say is pay attention to how it is set up. In other words, pay attention to what happened right before it, because if you pay attention to what happens right before your section that you're looking at, it then makes your section make sense. And so we take Matthew chapter five, verses 13 and 15, and what we know, it comes right after the very first thing that Jesus talked about in his sermon, and that was the attitudes that Christian people have. If you know much about the Bible, you know we call that the Beatitudes. And so Jesus, right out of the gate, he climbs up on this mountain, he starts talking to people, and he says, here's some of the attitudes that people in the kingdom of God have. As an example, one of them was we are merciful people, okay? We're not hypocritically judgmental people. We are governed by mercy. And that's the attitude that we live with. Can you imagine what would be different in your home or where you work with or where you go to school or or whatever part of life you have? Can you imagine what would be different if everybody had an attitude of mercy, okay? So Jesus goes through these, these attitudes. Now here's why I'm saying all this, because I want you to hear the last attitude that he talked about. And the reason the last attitude is so important, because as soon as he said it, he then immediately went into the passage about you are salt and you're light. So salt and light has something to do with that last attitude. So let's read it. 
It's in chapter 5. It's in the 11th and 12th verse. He said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then as soon as he said that, as soon as he ends here, he immediately says, and oh yeah, by the way, you are salt and you are light. So verses 11 and 12 about the world hating us, please hear this, are connected to the fact that we are called to be salt and light. And so what Jesus is saying is that you and I is the kingdom of God. Remember, we, we're saved and we're steadied, okay? We got it together. And Jesus said, okay, now let's go live significant lives in the world. And before you do it, you need to know this. They don't like you. That's what he said. And you and I don't have any trouble in today's world thinking about that because we stand on this truth that the world, all the way back in the days of the prophets, Jesus said, in his day as well, in the world you and I live right now, the world is diametrically opposed to us. They don't like us. And so when we stand on truth, when we express a value that God has given to us in the world, then we can count on the fact that the world will ridicule us, they will attack us, they will lie about us, and today, what will they do? They will cancel us. That's the world we live in. And it's been going on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. I don't know if I'm just an old disgruntled goat nowadays, but it seems that we're seeing it now at a level we have never seen in our lifetime. Am I right? Am I right? So Jesus makes that statement that the world is opposed to us. And that ought not surprise us because the Bible suggests that the evil nature of the world is going to keep getting more and more evil. Evil itself in the world is something that is going to grow and intensify over and over and over. I wanna, I wanna show you that in the Bible real quick. And I want you to forgive me, because I got, as, as Luke told you, we started a revelation study. And so revelation is, um, is in my brain right now, and, and I'm kind of get mixed up with revelation and what I'm teaching here. I found that out the last couple weeks. So I, I come to work, and all day Tuesday and part day Wednesday, I write revelation, I study revelation, and then halfway in Wednesday, I start looking what I'm gonna do now. And so the rest of Wednesday, I do this, and Thursday, I do this. And I found myself forgetting which one I'm doing when I'm doing it. So if I start talking Revelation, I just got crisscrossed somewhere in there, okay? Now, if you're a veteran of Revelation, though, watch this. Because you know this. You know this. You've heard this over and over in our study. And it connects with what Jesus is doing here. That in the book of Revelation, one of the premises that is taught to us is that the world, the evil nature of the world, it is going to keep getting more and more evil 
all the way to the end when Jesus comes and takes his church to heaven from now until whenever that is, it's just gonna keep getting worse. And if you're one of those unrealistic optimists who think, oh, come on now, man, things are gonna get better. Things are gonna get better. Anybody ever tell you that? Hang in there, they're gonna get better. Look at them and say, no, they ain't, bro. No, they ain't, they ain't. The Bible says they're not gonna get better. They are not gonna get better. Let me show you in Revelation how that happens. Don't get caught up in the imagery because this is not a Revelation study. This is the sermon. I have to kind of remember that. But you might remember a place in the Revelation of your veteran where this verse comes up. It describes evil, okay? And it says, they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. Don't get caught up in any of that other than one-fourth. So one-fourth of the world is gonna be attacked by evil. Now that whole concept comes up again a couple chapters later. Notice what it says. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Don't get caught up in any of the images. Just look, we have went from a fourth to a third. And if you're a veteran of the book, you, you know what's being said there. It's a principle that comes up in Revelation often, and that is the closer we get to the return of Jesus, it's just gonna get worse, man. It's not going to get better. And so if you can, if you can listen to the news today, whether you read Twitter or you're one of the old dudes with the newspaper at the coffee shop, wherever you're getting your stuff, if you can read that in the last year and not see that it's getting worse, then you ain't paying attention. Am I right? Okay, so, so watch, and, and I want you to hang with me because everything that I'm saying right now is why that last beatitude was mentioned. Jesus said, the world will not like us. It's going to be different from everything about us. So what do we do about that? What do you and I do about that? Do we cower in fear? Oh, man, I'm not going to say anything, make anybody upset. Do we stay away from them? Huh? You know, don't deal with the crazies, okay? Just be, you know, what do we do as a church? And the tug of war of the enemy is to pull you to a point where you believe the lie. Just be quiet and leave them alone. And we Christians have been tugged in that direction for years and years and years. And Jesus comes right on the end of that beatitude and says, no, no, that's not what you do. Oh, but Jesus, I'm saved and I'm steadied, man. I'm not going anywhere. I'm rock solid. But you're living a dull life. And I want you in that world. I want you to attack that world. Are you seeing the nature of the series now? I want you to invade the world with the kingdom of God. Why would I do that? Because you are salt and you are light. It is imperative that you and I have the perspective that God has called us to be significant in our life 
by getting into a world that needs salt and needs light and it needs it desperately. So invade it. I heard a story um, a few weeks ago and I went to this guy today and I said, can I, can I tell you a story, man? Can I tell you a story? And he said, yeah, I'll tell you a story. So I think most of us know our worship pastor, Aquila. Aquila Bach, his lovely wife, Abby. They've got two uh, little children and the oldest of those children is a little girl named Ivy. And uh, uh, some of you in this room, you know about Ivy, okay? Ivy is just kind of a, a, a fireball three-year-old man. Uh, she, she left the hospital after having been born and had introduced herself to all the nurses on the delivery ward. I mean, that's the way this girl is. She is outgoing. She is full of life. And uh, this church has fallen in love with little Ivy Bach. They have absolutely fallen in love with her. And that's kind of a side note. It's, it's not a part of my sermon, but can I say this? that one of the great blessings of Eastside Christian Church, I get asked this all the time, tell me about your church, man, what's great about your church? Let me tell you one good thing about Eastside Christian Church, it's a great thing, is because you love the families of your staff members. You love our spouses, you love our children, uh, you love our grandchildren, and that is an incredible encouragement to us. So, so we've kind of fallen in love with little Ivy around here, and so a few weeks ago, she started preschool for the first time. She's three years old, and y'all know what that's like if you're a parent, you've ever done it, you know, you, you're kind of driving them to school, you're a nervous wreck, you're crying, you know, and it's a mess, and your kid's scared to death, you know, you don't know they don't know if you're giving them away, or, you know, y'all been there, okay? Let me tell you how Ivy, showed up at school on first day in preschool. She ran into the room and said, hey friends, I am Ivy Rhodes Bach. Good to meet you, okay? Three years old. She invaded the room. And Jesus said, that's what I want you to do. You mean out there, Jesus? With the crazies? Yeah. Why would I do that? Because you are salt and you are light, and they need you for that. I, I just soon stay away. I just keep my mouth shut. I don't want to cause any waves. You mean let Satan pull you to dullness? I want to create a kingdom of people where we invade the world. And he says the way we do it is with these metaphors of salt and light. Now, now play with them just for a second. Salt has a couple purposes. If you had salt uh, back in that day, it really only had two main purposes. Number one, uh, flavoring. That's what you and I use it for, okay? Um, I, I love it when I get in diet mode. Oh, I got a salad, I'm gonna have diet salad. And then just, you know, salt for about 25 minutes. And, and so one way is to flavor the food and the other way is to preserve of food. Now, in that day, we have indication in Bible days that the flavoring might have been used a little bit in that day, but that's not why they use salt. So get it out of your head that salt in that day, when Jesus said you're salt, it hadn't had anything to do with, with flavoring. It had to do with uh, the preservation of food. That's what they used it for. One of my friends who's a big historian was telling me that on the three ships 
that uh, Columbus brought from the south of Spain when he went west to the New World, that in those ships they had these large uh, wooden boxes, and when they set sail, they, they put in those boxes a bunch of meat because they didn't know how long this trip was going to take, and they had these boxes and boxes and boxes of various forms of meat that they would eat, and they were packed full of salt because salt is gonna help that meat last. It's gonna preserve its decay. Now, light's a little bit easier to understand. I mean, if you're walking in a trail at night in the woods and you got a little flashlight, that flashlight kinda shows you your next steps. You can kinda see where you're going because without that light, you don't, you don't know, you might hit into some danger or something like that. So the metaphor of light is a little bit easier than the metaphor of salt because light kind of shows you, you know, what the next thing is uh, that, that might be dangerous. Uh, we, <laughs> we're like little kids in our house um, because not long ago, we, we were one of the old people. We got one of those Alexa things, which is really cool, and it's connected to a light in our house, okay? So um, here, here's how your preacher and his wife come home at night. We'll, we'll do that tonight, okay? We'll pull in the garage, it's pitch black, and we open the door and we go into our family, it's pitch black in there. Now we crack it open about three or four days. Alexa, turn on the light! And the light comes on, okay, we can walk in there. So we kind of understand light, okay, what that means. And so if you had to kind of take those two metaphors of Jesus and remember the perspective, the, these metaphors are coming on the heels of Jesus saying, man, it's a tough world out there. But your salt, your light. Now the reason the metaphors come up because of this. Salt will prevent decay and light will show the way. And the world needs that because the world is decaying and the world has lost its way. So what has God called us to do? We'll become a kingdom of people who invade that world with salt and light because the world needs that. I, I just didn't stay away. I don't want to mess with that. No, Jesus said that's got to happen because that will be a tug of war until the day you breathe your last. Will you live a dull life or will you live a significant life? Let me give you a couple ways that might happen. When I was in my late 20s, I had kind of one of those moments, a lot of you have had them, you've shared those with me, where it's like a light bulb comes on and you realize the truth that you didn't quite catch before. And I was probably in my middle 20s and I realized um, back in that time, that was a while ago, decade ago or so, something like that. So <laughs> y'all with me on that. And uh, I realized that all my friends were Christians. I remember that just kind of being a almost a penetrating truth to me. Man, everybody around me is a Christian. I'm married to Christian. I work with Christians. I work at a church. All my friends, if we went out to eat with somebody, they're going to be with Christians. And I didn't have one significant relationship of anybody who wasn't a Christian. And that became so heavy to me, not only as a pastor, but as a Christian. And I, I thought, I got, I got to deal with that. And I met, I met a guy who told me about a group of about 40 men who got together every Tuesday night, and they played golf together. They played golf together. I thought, hey, man, I like golf. And so I, I heard about these guys that gathered on a weekly basis. And I heard about it from the guy who owned the golf course. 
And so this guy owned a course, and, and he was a pagan, and uh, he had come to our church a couple times. I met him, and he invited me, hey, why don't you come and play with these guys? And so I, I and kind of a side note of that, that guy, uh, the owner of that course, eventually became a Christian. And he gave his life to Jesus, and, and, and he told me afterwards, he said, you know what? No preacher of mine will ever have to pay a dime at my golf course. And so I got free membership at this golf course, and he invited me to come play with those 40 guys. Uh, two, three months later, um, his name is Jeff. I saw him a couple weeks ago at a funeral. We were laughing about this, and I said, dude, you remember this? He goes, yeah, I remember that. And he came to see me one day and said, man, I am so on fire for Jesus. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better Christian. I want to be a better husband. I want to sit more time in, in church. I want to do everything. And man, I, I decided I'm going to sell the course. And I said, dude, you're taking this Jesus thing way too far. <laughs> so, uh, so he invites me to come play with these guys, okay? And there's a few Christians sprinkled among those, but for the most part, these were pagan dudes, man. And, and I'm meeting pagan dudes on a golf course. And it was interesting to me that I would hear things that I didn't hear very often. And sometimes they would get mad and I would see outbursts of anger that I wasn't real used to. And I started seeing things, man. I'd see guys that were involved in the consumption of libations. By the end of the nine hole round, they, they couldn't even drive the golf cart straight. So here, here's I'm seeing this. But the craziest thing started to happen. And that was that my nickname was Rev. Everybody had a nickname. That was real creative of them, wasn't it, huh? The preacher, let's just call him Rev. So I'm Rev, okay? And I, I notice that whomever I got teamed up with, you showed up and they just gave you people. So Rev shows up, I get three people. I noticed that the group that I'm with tends to clean up a little bit. It's fascinating to me. And so I might be there and somebody hits a bad shot and they're ready to throw their club and scream and yell. And then they see they're with Rev. And they put their club back in the, you know, okay, I'll get the next one. <laughs> and then somebody will get mad and they're ready to yell something and maybe something coming out of their mouth not appropriate. And then they see, oh, I'm sorry, Rev, I'm sorry, Rev, man. And then the next time they hit one bad, they go, golly darn, golly darn. I remember a guy who was notorious <laughs> for his overuse of libations, okay? I don't know how to say that. Uh, he was a drunk skunk. That's the best way I know how to say it. And he was known for that. And one day he checked in uh, to play, and he's walking out of the clubhouse, and he had a can of Coke in his hand. I'll never forget, he got a can of Coke. And one of his drinking buddies said, dude, what are you drinking? What are you drinking? He goes, got teamed up with Rev tonight. Got teamed up with Rev tonight. What was happening? What was happening? What was happening? What was happening? Here's what was happening. I was salt, and my presence was preventing decay. Anybody see that? So Jesus didn't say, go be the light. He didn't say that. He said, dude, you're just the, you're, you're just the salt, man. You're the light. Just your presence that's why you and I have to invade the world. If we don't, decay continues. 
Over the past few years, I've had the unique opportunity to get to know a couple really, really, really great people in the political world. And they're Christians in the political world. I've met a couple people recently who are involved in entertaining runs for public office of various different, um, different venues on that. And I, I don't talk about that stuff, and I, I, I really can't talk about it. Legally, we are, we are not allowed to do that as a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so we just don't say political things here. We don't do it. But when I've had relationships with those people and we sit down and talk and I get to know them on a personal basis, and they're Christians involved in that world, um, I, I tend to ask, what are you doing this for? Why would you do this? The answer that I always hear in one way or another from Christian people is that I feel it is my opportunity to show the way. That we have a conversation about an issue of something, and as a Christian, I am able to say, on behalf of God, here's, here's a way to handle that. Here's a way to do that. What are they doing? They're shining a light in darkness. They're living significant lives. Jesus didn't say, go be the light. He just said, man, you are the light. And if you allow yourself to get out into a progressively evil world, you will prevent decay, and you will show the way in darkness. And you don't have to be a politician to do that. You can be a school teacher. You can be a soccer coach. You can be a barista at Starbucks. You can be an entertainment singer at a restaurant. You can be an actor at a theater. You can be a lawyer at a courthouse. You can be an usher at a stadium. You can be a guy in the neighborhood who rakes everybody's leaves up. Wherever you are and whatever you do, when you invade the world with the kingdom of God, you radiate a light, you show a way, and a dark world desperately needs that from us. Desperately. So if you are saved and if you are steadied, go be significant. Go be significant. Now, I, I thought of a way that I want to end this to give us kind of a visual of it, and I don't know how this is going to work. Um, you're going to be the guinea pigs, okay? So if it don't go work very well, then I'm going to have to come up with something by Sunday. So we're going to try our best. If you have a cell phone, I want you to get it, okay? Don't do anything with it, all right? Don't jump on some game or something. Just get your phone and have it in your hand. I want everybody who's got a cell phone, go ahead and grab that and get that ready. And we're going to do something with your phone here in a minute. Now, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to try to create the idea in this room of a world that is getting darker and darker and darker and darker. And Jesus said it will just, it will just continue. So we're going to start darkening some of the lights in this room. You're going to see them go off. And when the world gets darker, it sometimes gets a little scarier. You can't see things. And sometimes it gets a little chaotic. You think, where do, I, where do I go? I mean, how do I even begin to do anything? 
Now, what I want you to do, and I only want you to do this when I, when I ask you to do it, okay? So don't get ahead of me. You probably know now what I'm talking about. So let me do it first. I want you to turn the light on on your phone, and I just want you to point it upwards. Now, don't do it yet, okay? <laughs> we got about eight type A OCD people here that I'm going to do whatever I want to do, dude, okay? You're the dark world we're talking about, okay? Now, what I'd like is the uh, two side sections all the way uh, to my right and to my left. So you're right and left. Those two sections. Why don't you go ahead and turn your lights on on your phone and just point it straight up. Okay? And now I want the middle two sections to do the same thing. Just turn your lights on. Just point it straight up. Now notice what happened. Notice something that happened here. This is better, isn't it? Not quite as scary. We can probably navigate a little bit. If there's somebody around us, we can kind of show them the next step. And Jesus said, you are the light. Go be significant in a dark world. So hold your light and let me pray. Father, I ask um, that what we talked about, that when we leave this room, that you will put us in opportunities to be salt and light. Because I don't read your words as a marching command for us to be bulls in a china shop. I read your words for us just to live our lives and sprinkle salt and shine light whenever we can. And if we can get that right, this world is going to be a whole lot better off. Help us to see that and give us the boldness to do it. In the name of Jesus, I pray.